It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Man, I'm, so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, man. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it every night about it. A real C's fan wouldn't want to live their life without it. Banner 18 in the making, we gotta make it. Best squad in the East and still we can't get complacent. Most winning franchise, so the history's ancient. You can tell the mother guys are going plan a vacation. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring The most in-depth coverage that you ever gonna hear Well-respected in a city like Russell's career It's raining Jays, raining Jays. Millie's. Hey there, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast I want to thank you all for making us part of your daily grind Thanks for taking us with you wherever you're going Whatever it is you're doing, we really appreciate it We're the Rain Jays, John Corrales, J. King of The Athletic here to talk a little bit about that Chicago Bulls, just complete, utter That was a close demolition. game. It was a close game. It, it was a close game. You know what's funny is that they made, Real a, barn burner. they made a run at the end of the first half, and it was like the Celtics needed that 8-0 run at the end of the half. And you're like, okay, okay, they, cut, they, they brought it back to 20. We feel good about this. And then the second half was just unholy hell raining down on Chicago. More on that in a minute. Also coming up today's show, Trevor Booker, uh, I guess former NBA player, but trying to be current NBA player as he rehabs a foot injury that he suffered in China, played with the Wizards, played with the Jazz, a couple of other teams, currently serving as the locked-on NBA uh, analyst, and he joins me in a little bit to talk about the inner workings of a locker room. I got him to talk uh, a couple days ago, just generically about things that happen in locker rooms and what happens when a team is struggling. Some interesting things there. A couple of interesting things. He played with Gordon Hayward in Utah, so we got a little bit about Gordon Hayward. And later on, we will hand out our awards via the taco truck. So, Jay, let's start with the Bulls, which a 56-point win, the biggest win in Celtics history, the, the biggest road win in NBA history, and uh, apparently today, uh, Sunday, they tried to hold a practice, and the players just were like, no, nah, we're not doing that. Yeah, that's that's mind-boggling. Like, okay, if the, o, if the former 04 Pistons want to hold a mutiny because they've changed coaches and some of them aren't playing anymore, it's like, okay, it, you probably shouldn't do it, but you won a title, you've accomplished a lot, you're getting disrespected. When Ryan Archie Diacono... Antonio Blakeney and Jabari Parker are texting each other in the group chat. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know if we should show up to practice today, guys. That's when <laughs> that's when you just have to chuckle a little bit. And I mean, 56, 56 point losses are tough. <laughs> I've never experienced one. No, but but I assume it's it's tough to come back from that. I, I guess. I mean, when you when you lose by 56, I feel like you lose the right to hold the mutiny, no matter who you are. No matter, even if you are that Pistons team, even if you are the 86 Celtics, when you yeah, lose no, by you, 56, 
you you got to come to work the next day, no matter what. You got to come to work. You go to practice and you do whatever the hell your coach tells you to do, and and you apologize and you hold your head in shame. Yeah, I mean that's that's all there is. I mean who the who the hell are these guys to to? But I don't know. Whatever. It's just the the, the Bulls are a complete farce, and it's funny that firing the coach was wasn't the, the like the the solution. Fred Hoiberg wasn't the problem. In fact, considering how bad this looks, shit, he might have been holding things together over there. Uh well, whatever. It's the Bulls. We're here to talk about the Celtics who uh again had a, a very nice uh performance against a team that they should have beaten. Part of the 56-point loss was a, a fourth quarter where because the Celtics were so decimated, you had to play Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown and Daniel Tice. And I mean, Jalen Brown's just going nuts in the. I mean, Daniel court. Tice is normally like, sure, sometimes sure. a DMP guy. It's not like he's a sure, but a he, regular starter. He did start the game though. He did start, and he he was having a good game. So, but point well taken. It's still the Celtics had to trot out like normal rotation players for garbage time. Guys who started for them in the playoffs, and in, in they the were conference just, finals. Beating the hell out of Antonio Blakeney and company. <laughs> so, uh, looking at looking at the game, the, the few things that we can positively glean from the game, I think, firstly, Jalen Brown continuing to do uh, very good things on the floor. Shot eight of eleven. Shot three of three from three, which was nice because in his in the game against the Knicks, he was zero of two from from three. Four four from the line. So that makes him, what, 12 of his last 13 from the line, which is great. Uh, Jalen Brown is not just being aggressive. I think he's being smart, Jay. I think he's he's reading plays and reacting to plays where I think early in the season he was he was trying to think through too many things. And even on his drives, his drives were sloppy. I was looking back at some of his drives, and he, he got to the rim. He was just kind of like jumping into people. One of his drives against the Bulls I really loved, or against the Knicks, I should say. I, I highlighted this on my Boston.com piece. Where he drives under control, and when the contact is coming, he uses his off shoulder to get into to the other guy's body while still keeping his shooting hand free. That's how you attack the rim, how you absorb the contact and finish through contact. It's just really, really good lately as compared to what he was. So uh, just something in Jalen Brown, he's starting to come around and playing smarter, playing better, and, and feels like more comfortable. Yeah, no, he – and it's it's very clear he's put a premium on getting layups and layups only. Like there are a few post-ups – against the Bulls where he was basically posting guys up directly underneath the bucket and just declaring it was his territory and owning that territory and just going up and, and finishing. And, you know, that that's a that's a change, I think, from the way he, he was approaching things. If you look at his last six games, he hasn't taken more than three three-pointers in any of them. And there have been times when he's passed up pretty open threes to drive. And I don't think that's something he should always do. But I do think the way he's attacking the basket right now, he's, he's more than half of his shots have come from the restricted area over the last, over his last six games. I think he's 23 of 28 uh, on shots in the restricted area since then, like 82%. So just really impressive run for Jalen Brown just really just hunting layups. That's, that's what he's done. That's what he's obviously trying to do. And it's, it's translated to free throws. It's translated to easy buckets. 
And he's just, and I think part of it too is it started before he got injured when he was still in the starting lineup and the starting lineup obviously has space. But I think the, the second unit is just has a lot more space now than it used to, you know, with Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown, there are just threats and Jason Tatum is playing with those guys a fair amount. So they just have a lot of threats on the court. And there's a lot of space, and those guys, Brown, Rozier, Hayward, they're all taking advantage. And Hayward's doing a nice job of setting guys up. Right now, it seems like the Celtics have the most balance in scoring from starting lineup to bench that they've had all season. Yeah, it, it, they they have really, I think, figured out some of the problems that were plaguing them early on. And in a way, it was the Jalen Brown injury that kind of helped spur this along because if he doesn't get hurt, maybe eventually Brad Stevens might make the switch. But if he doesn't get hurt and the Celtics didn't have the, the opportunity to make that switch to Marcus Smart in the starting lineup, then who, who knows? But right now, the the distribution of minutes – when they have the two Marcuses in the starting lineup, I think it just allows a just a better kind of uh, not exactly what the word I'm looking for here is the, the, the distribution balance balance uh, is a good word balance is a great word that that's that's the word I'm looking for a better balance between the first eight guys in the rotation because now with Marcus Smart obviously we've talked about him being a low usage guy but also a guy who passes extraordinarily well and can run pick and roll and can and can control the offense Marcus Morris who will just whenever he gets his shots he gets his shots he'll wait for his shot and he won't go crazy hunting his own shot anymore which is crazy for Iso Mook but he's really not doing that much anymore that now allows the the other guys in the starting lineup to go and and freely kind of just feel comfortable about getting their offense meanwhile the Hayward Jalen Rozier combination has benefited. I think all three Jalen now not worried about his touches. He, he just, it feels like he's in, in more control. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm making an association that's not there. Maybe it's, maybe it's just lesser competition. Maybe it's, maybe. I, I think, I think the lesser competition is part of it, but the, the offensive explosion has been ridiculous. It has been like it's it's not like they're just taking care of lesser competition like they are spitting on stomping on <laughs> like slapping around like taking their shoes off and just smacking people over the head with with their shoes. It, it has been just a ridiculous run over the past five games. So I don't think it's just the lesser competition. And I think what what's neat about it is like Jalen Brown said after the Chicago game. That he likes the balance right now. Yeah. And so he, like, he's a guy who was taken out of the starting lineup. He and Gordon Hayward both. And so even the players who have done that, they're like, okay, yeah, this is, this is working right now. And this is working for us. And I, I think, you know, before the Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier and Aaron Baines trio, which is all coming off the bench together at first, that's a tough trio to score points with. And, you know, Aaron Baines is just really limited. Marcus Smart, cannot shoot uh, except on certain nights <laughs> and Terry Rozier like he's not great at running offense pick and rolls and really finishing inside the the, the three-point arc so 
that was just a trio that we knew from the start of the season. We were like, okay, can the bench score? That was one of the questions we had about the Celtics. Well, now it's Gordon Hayward who's starting to open up the throttle on his body and clearly becoming more comfortable driving to the basket. And he's a great passer. And Jalen Brown, who averaged 18 points per game in the playoffs last year, and Terry Rozier, who now that he has other real threats around him, is really flourishing as a as a finisher right now. I, I think I think that trio is is really good together on the bench. And you know, I, I think I think that change has benefited both the starting lineup and the bench so far. Yeah, it, it, when you are allowed to do more of the things that you're good at, it just works. And that's what I think this does. It allows these guys to do the things that they're good at. Uh, it, it's simple as that. It, it, and especially Rozier, just allowing him to play off ball in this situation, uh, it's just better for him in in that role. And Gordon Hayward, there's not enough. There's not the same pressure on Gordon Hayward to be uh spectacular uh, you know he's coming off the bench i feel like when you you know you know you, he's coming off the bench he can just do what he's comfortable doing and right now he's very comfortable facilitating they're running a lot of sets set plays to have him as the main facilitator and it's it's really really working out very well for everybody uh, and like i said jalen brown has has flourished in that and i want to bring up jason tatum who is, if I'm looking at correctly, he's seven of his last nine from three, 14 of his last 20 from the field. His season averages now are pretty close to what they were in his rookie season. In the beginning of the year, people were looking at his numbers and saying, oh my God, he's shooting like 33% from three and he's shooting like 42% from the field. What if that rookie year was an aberration? Well, now he's shooting 46% from the field, and he's shooting 43% from three, and his true shooting percentage is uh, right about a point less. It's at 57.6 versus 58.6 last season. And now, like, his slow start is entirely the reason why he's not better so far. As far true as the numbers. Rise. Yeah. Right. And that's... It, it, yeah, it works both ways. Like, like, over the he's, last he's 15 been, or so games, he's been really, really good. He's been really, really good, and he's been so good that he's brought up those poor percentages up to up to normal. And, yeah, if you look at the way he's been playing recently, he's outplaying his last year's average, which I, I think that when you get to that Philly game, they're going to look at those numbers, and you're going to hear the announcer say, whoa, he's having a tremendous season, uh, better pro- progressing, moving forward from his last year, when we know at the beginning of the season – he was isolating like crazy, and he was very inefficient. And he's another guy who's benefiting from all this. He's playing a lot better. He's eliminated a lot of that mid-range crap, the isolation crap, and and he's playing a much much better brand of basketball, and it's working out. I mean, he's he's been quietly awesome. I I will not disagree with that that assessment of things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's where we are after the Chicago game. We're gonna take a short break. But also, everybody's been awesome. I just want like no up true. and down the roster. They have I think seven guys averaging double figures throughout this winning streak, and then D- Daniel Tice, who I think had one DMP in that streak, but he's at nine point eight points per game. And Jalen Brown missing a few of those games skewed numbers a little bit, but still like okay, that's that's depth. That's that's balance. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the Celtics wanted to see from the start, and they're hitting a ton of threes. 
and and once you hit threes, everything opens up. Like just the lanes open up, teams get complacent inside, and all of a sudden, like the points in the paint numbers, oh, it doesn't doesn't look so bad anymore because the ball is going through the hoop and everybody's in chaos and boom, there's Daniel Tice throwing down another alley oop dunk. So, yep, it's beautiful, and and some of this is as simple as some of their shots are falling. It's it can be as simple as that. There's all of the stuff that we're saying, but there's also the simple fact that they were horrible on wide open shots. They missed a ton of open shots to start the season. And you can say maybe the mentality was part of what was dragging them down. And now that they're free, I would say it was definitely what was dragging them down. Yeah. But there's, they still missed open shots and now they're making open shots and it does make a big difference. So Celtics look awesome. They've got a big week coming up, starting with the new Orleans Pelicans, Tonight, and they've played trash teams. I want to see them play good teams. They Well, look, they also have played good teams and beaten good teams. They've beaten Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly already this year. I'm saying I'm saying in the streak, once they once they've been playing well, they've they've beaten up on on trash teams. Sure. Well, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to beat up on trash teams when they're playing Agreed. this well. Agreed. You know? I just I just would like to see them while wanna... playing well play against good teams. Okay. It'd be it'd be enjoyable to me to watch good basketball teams play other good basketball teams that's all i'm saying okay great that, that i agree i wholeheartedly endorse good basketball teams playing good basketball teams generally leads to good basketball we'll take a break we're coming back with trevor booker who is the locked on nba analyst did you forget the taco truck no we're gonna do the taco truck later okay we'll, cool. do, we'll do trevor booker first and then taco truck later i know we, we we forget taco truck a lot but we're not forgetting it this time trevor booker's Dude. next Stay with us. We'll be right back. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked on NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Here we go! John Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA Network of Podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA Podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. Trevor, thanks for joining us here on the Locked On Celtics Podcast. So, the reason I want to have you on is to get an inside look at a, you, you know, you've obviously played a number of years in the NBA. Uh, you, you've seen a lot and you've, you've come up through 
similar situation. So, first of all, we know you haven't been in this Celtics locker room, but you've seen some things. Like your rookie year was John Wall's rookie year. You've played with a young Bradley Beal. So let's start there with guys who are supremely talented star players like those two guys uh, coming up as young guys. Celtics have a couple of young guys that are trying to hopefully get to that level. What's it like for a rookie with that level of talent to to play what, what do you see when those guys are trying to establish themselves while also trying to be part of the team dynamic um well it's definitely not easy you know you, you have so much talent you want to be out there on the floor and you know it, it, it's, it's tough at times because you're a rookie so sometimes you know the coach may you know limit your minutes so that, that makes it tough you know you feel like you should be out there on the court and, you know, the, the team, you want, you want to limit your minutes and, you know, make sure they go about everything in the right way, not just, you know, just throw you out there. Uh, so, you know, it's tough. Just being a competitor um, and, and wanting to be out there on the, on the court is it, very tough. So, like, when you're coming up and you've had a good season, and is there is there some – kind of feeling when you're a young player like I can do this my way and still help the team oh I mean for me you know it was never like that because you know I I knew my role you know from the beginning I knew I wasn't a a superstar you know but I you know I had good seasons and you know I felt like I should play more you know at times but in my mind I knew I couldn't you know go about it the wrong way um, and I couldn't, you know, speak out publicly and, and things like that because it would hurt my reputation. Uh, so sometimes you just got to roll with the punches and, you know, and just keep performing on the court, you know, and, and realize that you, when you're performing on the court, uh, you, you're not you know, only performing for your team, but, you know, other teams are watching. So do you do you think there's a, a, a tough kind of balance there? Because you talk about that frustration of, wanting to do more but you can't express it you think there's a lot of just around the league just players who are trying to balance the frustration of their role versus what they think they can do and and do you think that there are guys who are are saying i know i can do more even if even if they might be wrong oh yeah 100 percent. you know it's the nba guys come from college and and, and they're, they're the man on their college team you know they, they do everything for their college team you know, they come to the NBA and have to find a role. So, you know, it's difficult for a lot of players just to come to the NBA, find, find, you know, find their niche and do something other than be the man. When, you know, for four years, one or two years, however, however many long, uh, they used to be, you know, the sole man. Even in high school, you know, they, they were the man. So they got so used to being the man and coming to the NBA, you know, they, they, had, they still had that mindset. You know, but you see the guys that, you know, that find that niche, those are the ones who, you know, really stick around longer than the NBA. How hard is it, though, to go from, I'm the man, I, you, look, any one of uh, NBA players, any one of these NBA players can walk into any gym in America and just destroy competition up, up to the NBA level. You just walk back into a college game and just destroy the competition. 
how hard is it to go to that next level where you have these dreams of being a star player and say, well, shit, now, now I'm quote unquote, just a role player. That's going to be a hard thing for guys to adjust to. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's hard as hell. Uh, but you know, somebody got to, you know, put it in their ear before they got to get to the NBA. Somebody need to tell them, you know, that, you know, just go in there. Don't expect to be the man and, you know, just play a role and everything else will, will play out. But I mean, there are some guys in the NBA that are, are, you know, being held back. They can do a lot more. Um, I mean, it's not many, but some, you know, some guys are being held back. Um, and you know, usually it, it eventually, you know, comes out. Uh, if you just keep working your butt off and, you know, just get your, your minutes on the court and then, you know, everything, all the hard work, you know, pays off. Is there, uh, cause you've been on some of these Wizards teams, you've been through a coaching change where obviously there's a level of frustration where things aren't going the way they should. They're not going according to plan. What's that like in a locker room when you know you've got talent, but it's not coming together? Yeah. Man, that, that, that could be really tough. Um, you know, I, I've been on bad teams, you know, with with a lot of talent. Um, and, you know, it, it's frustrating just because you see the talent, you know, in the room, but we haven't, you know, we didn't we didn't put it together. We didn't put that talent together. So we're we're trying to figure everything out. You know, it's it's even more frustrating when you're a young team because you don't know, you know, what to expect and you don't know how to, you know, deal with the adversity, um, you know, what's thrown at you. So it it it, it can definitely, you know, get tough at times. What go what goes into that though? Like when when things are going well compared to when things are going poorly. You got the same guys. When things are going well, everybody loves each other. You know, you're bullshitting in the locker room. Everybody's having a good time. When things are going bad, all of a sudden things turn. Now, some of that has to be on a personal level. Maybe some guys are worried about contracts. Maybe some guys are worried about perception. But do you have any examples without naming names, obviously, or whatever? But like, what's when when somebody makes a mistake in a in a game that you ultimately win versus when somebody makes a mistake when you're on a, a losing streak how does that how does that dynamic work in the locker room do guys get on each other is there how hard is it to keep that encouragement together when somebody makes a mistake yeah well it's it's not the easiest that's for sure um you know sometimes i don't you know when you make mistakes you know on a on a losing team and it just repeatedly, you know, happens. Um, the, the guys, they usually don't say anything to you, you know, directly. It's, you know, it's a little chatter, you know, behind your back. Um, but the guy usually is never knows. Uh, but I think the biggest key is that, you know, it gets to the team is probably the media. You know, guys see things that, that's written in the media and that gets to the team, you know, more than anything. So it's, it's just about, you know, staying staying together as a team, and you know, not letting you know the outside sources get to your head. So, everybody likes to say they don't they don't read what's out there, but they do, right? Oh hell yeah, definitely. <laughs> so so that's if, if they're not reading, it, and then and then somebody in their their family, their friends, or somebody somebody's reading it and reporting it back to them. 
Right. So even if though if somebody in the locker room's not reading it, somebody outside of a player who's maybe not performing up to his abilities, they're getting they're getting it from a family member or a friend. Like, hey, th- these people say this about you. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Because you know, a lot of times the family and the friends they they want to see what people are writing about you, and, and it bothers it, it may bother them more than it bothers you, and so they're gonna bring it to you. You know, sometimes just to see how you feel, just to make you aware of what people are saying, um, and then that's gonna get to you because it's bothering them, and then it's just a whole a trickle down effect. You know, my early in my career, I used to. You know, read some of the negative negative things that people used to write about me. You know, on Twitter, um, they used to you know at me, write negative things, and it used to you know used to bother me sometimes. And I used to you know want to reply, uh, but I, I know I I couldn't. Uh, you know, but now recently, you know, people write things about me on Twitter if I have a bad game or whatnot, and I just laugh at it. It doesn't bother me one bit. Well. That Twitter is the worst. <laughs> Can we just get that out there? Twitter, that's going to be the worst. What, what's it like? What is that like? Now, I mean, some of us who are listening, and, and me to a very minuscule degree, you get a little bit of criticism. I can't imagine what it's like to be an NBA player because people can be assholes behind the anonymity of some egg for a profile picture and some something that doesn't put their name on it. They feel like they can just say, anything they want to you that that is that's gonna be hard yeah 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 early on it was hard but if you um you know i look at it now and think back and just laugh about it because if you look at the people who you know who write the negative things on twitter it's always somebody with with no profile picture you know they have a profile picture of an animal they they never put their face behind it so i'm like you know uh you cowards you you don't have a, enough guts to even put up your picture. Right. So it, it's just all, you know, it's, it's funny now that I look back on it. But some guys are sensitive. I mean, not everybody develops it. We like to think that everybody in the NBA is this tough-minded, you know, things wash off you, no problem. But that's not everybody. I mean, there's some people are just sensitive, and they and they can't have that attitude. That Have you seen guys, like, really get – kind of caught up in that yeah definitely so um but i don't think people realize that you know everybody's different some people can brush it off and some people you know can take it to heart uh everybody's different everybody's not the same you know uh so it's going to affect you know different players differently but i've seen it you know go both ways you know some guys you know have real thick skin and it doesn't bother at all you know some guys they (laughs) They reply to the messages um, and get in their feelings. Do a lot of these guys have burner accounts where they can turn around and re- <laughs> reply in anonymously? Um, yeah, I don't know anybody personally with burner accounts, but some people just reply straight from their account. <laughs> I used to, I actually used to be one of those guys that did it a couple of times right. straight from my account. Uh that's that's a dangerous place to be. Replying to people on Twitter, man. That that's. I, and I do it. I do it, and it's on. Like I said, it's probably like a point oh one percent of what you have to deal with, and it sucks for me. So I can't imagine magnifying it by ninety nine point nine percent for you know for you. So that that really must suck. Uh, let's get into a little bit more of the specifics for the Celtics. Now, what you've seen from them 
turning it around. Beginning of the year, the first 20 games, they really, really struggled. Then they put Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris in the games. What have you seen from Smart and Morris? Why do you think putting those two guys in the starting lineup has changed things so much for the Celtics? Well, as for Marcus Smart, I think he just brings so much energy and passion to the to the starting lineup. You know, just to get them going early. You know, he's uh, you know such a energetic player and such a pest on defense. You know, he just brings life to the team. You know, straight from the back. And uh, and Morris, he's such a great player, a great role player. He, he knows his role. You know, he's gonna go in there, score buckets, uh, play tough. You know, and, and that's, that's what, you know, the Celtics needed. Early on, they, they struggled, but I think they're, they're starting to hit their stride now, you know. Gordon, he's, I think he's coming to life. Um, he had a, a horrific injury last year that, you know, really set him back. But, you know, people were wondering, you know, if, if he's, if he's going to get back to himself this year. They, they were, you know, after the first 15 games, they were down him. But it's going to take time. He missed the whole year. And, you know, Gordon was a great player. I got to play with him when I was in Utah. You know, he's one of the best players that I've, you know, played with. And, you know, I think he's going to be totally fine. And once he hits his stride, you know, look out for the Celtics. Yeah, I was gonna bring I was gonna bring that up that you played a couple years with with Gordon Hayward. Uh, it was the two years before he was selected as an All Star. What? Well, get take us inside behind behind the scenes with Gordon Hayward. What what's it like playing with him? What's he what's he trying to do? We're we're trying to get back to that Gordon Hayward that you played with. And like you said, it's gonna take time. But when he's out there, when he's in practice, what's what's he like? What's it? What's it like playing with him when he's – I know he's a very willing passer. What's Just what's it like playing with Gordon Hayward? Yeah, Gordon just has – he has so much skill. You know, he can pass the ball. He can score in mid-range, three-pointer. You know, and he's, you know, athletic. So just to, you know, have him on the court um, and, and do the things that he um, – that he's, you know, capable of. It, he used to be huge, so, so huge for us in Utah. And to take that talent to Boston, you know, people got to understand that he missed a whole year. And this is his, really his first season, you know, playing with the Celtics and, you know, getting acclimated to his new teammates. So it's going to take some time. You know, he's never played with, you know, this much talent before. Boston, you know, has the most talent in the NBA in my eyes. Uh, so him to, for him to <clears throat> go to a team like this and play with that much talent, it, it's going to take time to, to, uh, to acclimate, and people don't realize that. But, you know, once he, he gets situated and acclimated to, to his teammates and, you know, that chemistry is built, uh, Gordon is going to be a heck of a player for them. When you watch Gordon Hayward now, uh, is there a way you can kind of guess? I'm not, I'm not asking this the right way, but how far off is he from the guy that you remember playing with when you look at what he's – playing like now what what's still missing from the guy that you remember playing with uh, i think the only thing that's missing is his toughness you know once he um he has a couple of breakout games you know like the 30 point game that he had the other night mm-hmm. he, he's gonna be you know totally fine but i think right now he's just missing that confidence i'm not sure you know how his body is feeling but once he gets you know that confidence you could tell you can look in his face that you know that he's back. Uh, 
we like in Boston, we like to kind of tout the virtues of Brad Stevens. Uh, you played for Quinn Snyder, another really great coach. What impact does yeah. a great coach really have? Because this is a player's league, and unlike other levels, players and coaches in the NBA are more like co-workers in a lot of way rather than I'm the coach, I'm the boss, and you're the players, you play for me. Is that is that accurate to say? Yeah, definitely. So I've had coaches, you know, that, you know, coach the old school way. They they, they come in, they, they do their job, and they go on their way. And on the other hand, I had, you know, coaches or player coaches. They come in, they, you know, they build a relationship with the players, and, you know, they, they make it a lot a lot easier for the players. They, they, they are the ones who... Who you want to go out there and bust your butts for? Because you know they they actually care about you. Um, you know, like you know, Quinn Snyder. He's one of those coaches. He's a um, a player's coach, and you know he he really care about his players. So you know, all of those guys are gonna go out there and, and bust their butts. You know, for him. You know, I had you know coaches doing things the old school way, and I honestly hated it. I, I would rather play for a player's coach. So, I mean, is that, is that the, the number one thing that an NBA coach can do for you is just at least demonstrate that, for lack of a better term, he gives a shit? Yeah, definitely so. And I think, you know, most of the players in the NBA are like that. Once you build a relationship with, uh, you know, your players, you know, you get to see where they're coming from. You know, just having a conversation can go a long way, uh, you know, with, with your players, uh, just to see, you know, how they think and whatnot. And, you know, and small things could translate into big things on the court. And I don't think, you know, some of, some of the coaches realize that. Yeah, I mean, Brad Stevens does have a reputation of getting the most out of his players. Uh, a lot of guys have run through and had some of their best years and gone off and gotten big contracts uh, with other teams. So I guess I guess that would be the thing. But, I mean, on, on the court, when it's when a player and a coach interacting on the court, uh, what's what's that like? When a coach is calling out plays, are, are there times where guys can like shrug off a play? If you you you've played with some pretty good point guards, when those guys are are coming down the floor, are there times where you just kind of blow off the coach, or, or is how does that work? Yeah, I wouldn't say that much. You can love the coach as much as you want, but I wouldn't shrug them off. Right. Um, you know, usually you just listen, you just listen to the coach and trust them. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's the one who, you know, prepared, you know, day and night, you know, for the game and put in, you know, countless amount of hours to prepare for the game. So usually, you know, the best thing to do is just listen to the coach. All right. Well, Trevor, I want to thank you. I don't want to keep you too long. I want to thank you for sharing your insight as a player and as the Locked On Podcast Network NBA analyst. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and good luck with your foot rehab, and hope to see you back in the league pretty soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, thanks again to Trevor Booker. Lots of interesting stuff there in the inner workings of an NBA locker room. Kind of interesting that he mentioned that players will turn on the media before they turn on themselves when things are going bad, and Terry Rozier had those comments about people can shut up because things are getting very annoying, which was very funny. I thought Terry Rozier was very funny, but also interesting that uh, he chose this after a 56-point win to express his frustration of how things were covered in the past. Now it's time for our taco truck because we can't do it on Tuesdays because we just keep forgetting. We're going to do it on 
the Monday show. So let's get it, Jay. We talked about it. My first Taco time. Mondays, baby. Taco Monday. It's you know, whatever. It's, I'm sure. I'm sure some people are listening to this on a Tuesday, and we can pretend. So, uh, first guy I'm putting on there is Jalen Brown. I think that's an obvious one. Jalen has had, as we said in the first segment, Jalen has had a very nice resurgence. Uh, his he had let's see, 23 points against Chicago, 21 against New York. He his shot over those two games. 15 for 21, three of five from three. Three of those makes were against the uh, the Bulls. 11 of 13 from the free throw line uh, this past week. So getting to the line a little bit more. Just a great week for Jalen Brown. This this might be a controversial inclusion. I'm going with the Tice God. Interesting. I'm going with the Tice God because Al Horford's out, Aaron Baines is out. Robert Williams is out, and the Celtics have to start their third string center. Yeah, and and it's totally cool because it's Daniel Tice. <laughs> He's the most perfectly solid basketball player who ever lived. And <laughs> I guess when you're a plus up, fifty in any, NBA and he ends game. up having a career high and gets a plus fifty, a plus freaking fifty in thirty-two minutes. So, I mean, Daniel Tice is so valuable. So valuable on his contract because, first of all, for how good he is, to me, he's underpaid. Second of all, he doesn't give a damn if he doesn't play it. Like, he gets a DMP, he's cool with it. He only plays a few minutes. He's going to play those minutes as well as he can. He gets a spot start, and boom, you have a legitimate center who can go in and catch a lob or pop out and shoot a three or switch on the guards and defend them or block shots in the paint. Like Daniel Tice is just an all around good basketball player. And I think he deserves to be on the taco truck because it, the Chicago game was just a reminder of how much of a safety valve he is for the Celtics, considering like a lot of nights he doesn't play, but if they need him to play, he's very, 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 very competent. <laughs> very competent. I agree. He is very competent. Uh, and I think the thing that he gives the Celtics the most is the versatility that when, you know, playoffs run, roll around and there's whatever the matchup is, maybe there's a matchup where having a big bruiser like Aaron Baines is just not going to work for you. You need a more athletic center like Daniel Tice. And if that's what's going to work, then Daniel Tice is going to get his minutes. And in the next series, maybe they need Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice is just not going to work. And he might not play in that series at all. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing for a player to not understand or, or to not have a consistent role. Uh, for a guy to, to be able to work within that and say, oh, okay, you need me to start? I got gotcha. you. You know, I'm not playing tonight? Okay. That, that, whatever. Like, obviously he wants to play, but to, to be able to come in, whatever you ask of him to do it competently, that, that's pretty good. So, that's good. That's a, that's a nice shout out to, uh, Daniel Tice. I'll go with the other guy that I mentioned. Eat earlier. as many tacos as you want, Daniel. It's, this is unlimited tacos on the taco truck. That's, you, you get free access to the taco. You don't just get one taco. You get free and, access to the taco. And believe truck. me, shredded cheese for days. 
Shredded tea, yeah, for my next pick, Jason Tatum. We'll have to bring in a separate cheese truck for him. But like I said before, Tatum has been quietly amazing. Uh, the not huge, huge, huge point numbers, but 17 against the Knicks, quietly 7 of 11, 3 of 5 from 3. Against Chicago, 7 of 9, 4 of 4 from 3. And he had it cooking for a, a little bit. He only played 21 minutes, and he scored 18 points on 9 shots. So... That that's the Jason Tatum that we remember from last year. 18 points on nine shots is insane. The only criticism I have of him. So you're putting you're one. putting him on the taco truck for doing what we expect him to do. Are you kidding me? No. Yes, We're, I expect him to be very good. And when you're very good, you get on the taco truck. So that's that gets him on. Yes. I'm I'm just I'm just asking here. The taco truck is not for just like oh my god this was unexpected. Taco truck is for. You know, if he if he goes out there and plays like this every week, he gets on the fucking taco truck every week. The only thing right, I, want I'm putting, I want I'm to putting do, Kyrie on the taco truck for the lefty finish against New York. I I I was going to put Kyrie on the taco truck too. Yeah, so. yeah, he deserves to be on the taco. Truck. Absolutely, of course he, he, does. he steers he steers the goddamn taco truck. Right. So just to finish my he point again, funnels tacos on Jason Tatum. I just want him to take more free throws. That's the only thing. The last two games, he took zero free throws in each game. Of course, they were each blowouts and whatever, but I just would really like to see him drive more and get 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 to the line more. That's all. That's my only criticism. So, Kyrie Irving, I'm I'm in. I'm in. He's on the taco truck. Uh, who else is on the taco truck? Uh, I think the whole squad. Just just put them all on there. Everybody gets a taco, but those guys get on the taco truck. I think that's fair. Give give Yabu a taco, man. That poor guy. That was a bad sprain, man. A sympathy taco for Yabu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yabu, Yabu gets free free tacos this week. We'll, <laughs> we'll have we'll have the tacos truck drop by drive by the hospital or or <laughs> wherever he is rehabbing his sprained ankle. Oh man! And and feed him. Just feed him. I miss that. I forget who tweeted this out, but it said that. Uh, this for the first time ever, I've seen Yabuselli sad, and this makes me sad. Who I forget who tweeted that out, but um, that's that's like the saddest thing I've ever heard. Like Yabu's always happy, and he, for him to be sad makes me sad too. Uh, all right, that's it. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Trevor Booker for joining and giving us that that insight. Thanks again to you for listening. If you're a first time listener, hope you have enjoyed the show enough to subscribe. If you're a regular subscriber. We need that five-star rating. We need that good review. Hook us up, please. It helps us out a lot. And when people ask what they should be listening to, you say, Lockdown Celtics. It's part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And it's dope. Yeah, J. King and John Corrales. Lockdown Celtics. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.